As we turn to the word, let's turn to the screens and pray this prayer together. God, our Father, your word is living and active. It is a sharp sword that divides and discerns. Jesus, the Son, you are the word made flesh. May our faith in you be stirred and increased. And Holy Spirit, guide us into the truth. And may your gifts build us up and make us one. God, we ask these things. We ask that your word would be alive to us today. That it would not be a history lesson. It would be not filled with moral platitudes and good ideas for clean living powerful and active. I pray that you would aim it directly where we need to hear it today. And I pray when we would leave that there would be no doubt that you had something for us as individuals and something for us as a body today. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. Again, welcome to Bayou City. We're so glad that you are here on this time change Sunday, once you turn to the person on your right and say, welcome to church, person on your left, say, I'm glad you're here, and take your Bible, turn to the book of James. We've been walking our way through this book a few verses at a time. We've already looked at some very powerful ideas. We've talked about enduring, we've talked about wisdom, we've talked about wealth, we've talked about loving God, we've talked about sin, we've talked about God as the Father of lights, and today we're going to talk about anger. You know, last night was Halloween, obviously, and love Halloween, not for the ghosts and goblins or anything like that, but I love Halloween because it's really the one night a year when it's easy to connect with our neighbors. It's not a big deal to walk up to the door and knock on it and ask something from them, but you try doing that today, I mean, they're going to look at you like you were pretty strange. And, and so we celebrate Halloween uh, in, in that way. And as we were walking around yesterday, I remembered three or four Halloweens ago, it was much different. My kids were little. Uh, Jackson was maybe in kindergarten and Annabeth was not even in preschool yet. And, and so I had to actually walk them up to the door and then you're giving them the script, you know, one line at a time, trick or treat. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Say thank you. I've told you to say thank you at every house. I don't know why you're not saying thank you at this house. Nothing has changed. So it was a little bit more active participation than last night. But, you know, not everybody is able to fully participate in Halloween because maybe they need to be gone. But they still want to do something. And so they will turn on their light uh, on their porch, which somehow we all know that that is the sign for there is candy at that door. I don't know where that came from, but we just know the light is on. You're allowed to go up there, and, but they're not able to be home. So what do they do? They get a big bowl and they put a bunch of candy in it. And then it's on the honor system for you to get the candy. Well, three or four Halloweens uh, uh, before I'm walking up to the driveway with the kids, and as we're walking up, I see a bunch of middle school-aged boys. I don't have anything against middle school-aged boys. I was one at one time. Uh, bless you guys. You're going to get through this season. It's going to be all right. God's going to persevere with you. 
But they're all around the porch, and I can't see really what's going on. And then as we're walking up the driveway, they're walking down onto the next house. And we get up there, and the bowl is totally empty. You're thinking, hey, I have a middle school boy. I love him. I want to give him the middle benefit of the doubt. Maybe there just wasn't any candy when they got there. It was 5.30. That bowl should have been full, and it wasn't. So my kids didn't have any, any candy from that house. And so I entrusted my children to some friends that we were with, and I went and hunted those middle school boys down. <laughs> it just doesn't seem right that they would steal candy literally from babies. And then to take advantage of that person's generosity, that they couldn't be there, that they still wanted to participate, and so they went and bought candy, and candy is not cheap. I mean, it's like $50, you know, probably to adequately stock your house for Halloween night, and it was just all gone. In one stop, it was all gone. That just didn't seem right, and it made me angry. We all have lots of reasons to be angry. How many of you are married? Show, show of hands. You have plenty, daily opportunities to be angry, right? The angriest you've ever been in your life is at the person sitting right next to you at this moment. You know, and everybody's like, amen. Yeah, I'm mad at you right now, in fact. (laughs) So I am a world-class passive-aggressive, just world-class. I'm an Olympic champion. I'm just better at it than anybody in the history of the world. So you imagine being Amanda for all of these years. So one time a while ago, we were having a discussion uh, about some things. You ever start a discussion that turns into a fight and then you start fighting about the way that you fight? You know, that little trail that happens sometimes. So we're talking about, you know, whatever we were talking about. And she says to me, I'm so tired of you being passive aggressive. And I say, okay, that's fine. You don't want me to pout. You don't want me to freeze you out with silent treatment. That's fine. I'm going to work on that. And so for the next couple of weeks, I tried not to be passive-aggressive, but if you're not passive-aggressive, like your only option then is to say out loud when you are frustrated, when you are upset, when you are angry, when you don't like something. And so that's what I did for a couple of weeks. At the end of that couple of weeks, she came back and said, I actually want you to go back to being (laughs) passive-aggressive. Here's the reality today. We all get angry, and we get angry for a lot of different reasons and for a lot of different and in a lot of different ways. We, we get angry at traffic. We get angry at our kids. We get angry at our kids' teachers. We get angry at football teams. We get angry at football coaches. We get angry at play calling. We get angry at our boss. We get angry at our employees. We get angry at our friends. We get angry at our enemies. We get angry at total strangers. Have you ever walked into a restaurant and it's really crowded, you get angry. You get angry and you're like, I'm mad at every person in this restaurant because somehow they figured out where I was going to be tonight and they beat me to the spot and I'm mad. They don't know me and I don't know them, but I am angry at them. We just all get angry in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. And here's the question that we're asking and answering today. Just one question. I'd love for you to write this question down in the margin of your Bible on a piece of paper. What is God's will for my anger? What is God's will for my anger? James chapter 1 is going to help direct us. Verse 19. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Look at verse 19. This is the person that we're talking about. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So who's he addressing? He's addressing, he's talking about, he's using as an example, somebody who doesn't listen, who talks too much, and gets too angry too quickly. That's who he's talking about. And what are we describing? We're describing a person who has an uncontrolled spirit. Like a horse that's not bridled. Filled with strength, but without restraint. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. See, this is the difference between God's anger and our anger. Any just basic reading of the Bible, you see that God does, in fact, get angry. Exodus chapter uh, 4, verse 14, God tells Moses, I want you to go and lead my people out of slavery. And Moses is like, I don't want to do it. And the Bible says that God gets angry with them. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, God is giving them the law. He's giving them the rules of how his relationship is going to work. Uh, with uh, his own people and Moses comes down off the mountain with that law and what does he see? He sees them dancing around a golden calf and worshiping that statue instead of God and the Bible says that God gets angry. Numbers chapter 11 verse 1. God is angry because Israel complains that they don't have enough. In fact, they would say, uh, we know you rescued us out of the hands of the Egyptians, but we would actually prefer to go back than to live in the desert any longer. Numbers chapter 12, verse 9, God is angry with Miriam and Aaron because they were making complaints about Moses' leadership. Judges chapter 10, verse 7, God is angry again with Israel because they're worshiping the false god Baal instead of the one true God. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, God is uh, angry at a man named uh, Uzzah because Uzzah reached his hand out and touched the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, God's earthly throne. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus actually gets angry with some religious leaders because their religion was more important to them than helping people. But his anger does not come from an uncontrolled spirit. So how do we know if we're angry because we have an uncontrolled spirit, if we're living without restraint? Well, just ask yourself in an outburst of anger, would I want someone to videotape this And then would I want to watch it back? If somebody were recording this moment, would I be happy to watch it back? Because there are certain types of anger anger that you would be happy to see a replay of. Like if you saw somebody being mugged and you got angry and jumped in there and took care of some business... Not only would you want to watch that video back, you would put it on the internet so everybody could watch you being angry. There's certain kinds of anger that you wouldn't mind watching, but the kind of anger that we're talking about that comes from an uncontrolled spirit, you wouldn't want to see. You're embarrassed that your family had to see it, and you'd be horrified if anyone else saw it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, summarizes it like this. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. In Proverbs 14, verse 29, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. It's been an exciting week, uh, two weeks in, in our house. 
two Sundays ago, we're getting ready to go to bed, and Amanda says, uh, I think I'm, I'm having some contractions. And so she pulls out her phone, and so she starts recording how long they were and how intense uh, they were. And she recorded them all night long, all through the middle of the night. And like a really great husband, I slept through the entire thing. <laughs> At 4 o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up. And she says, it's time to go. We're going to the hospital. And I say, we're going to the hospital. And we get around and we drop our kids off and head to the hospital. And later that day at 444 on Monday, October 19th, Willa Rose Jones was born. I brought a picture with me so that you can see. There she is. She's gorgeous. She's wonderful. She looks just like me, obviously. She was great. She was born Willa, W-I-L-L-A. She's lovely and sweet, and she sleeps for about 23 hours a day right now. I'm exaggerating, but uh, she's just sleeping. It's so sweet to hold her. She's just sleeping all the time, sleeping, eating, and pooping. That's what she's doing right now. That's the name of her game. And uh, So we, we had a great birth, and everything went really, really well. And you know, you're supposed to be in the hospital for 48 hours. And this is our third kid, and we put a pretty big gap in between our children. Jackson is almost 10 and Annabeth is almost 7 and so Willa is 2 weeks old and we got through the really hard stuff and we thought, hey, you know what, let's just, let's just do that again. And, and so that's, that's, what, that's what we're looking forward to the next couple of years. The, when Jackson was born almost 10 years ago, I was happy to be in the hospital. In fact, we, we checked into the hospital early before he was born, the night before. We were, we were happy to be there and we were happy for them to help us after he was born, you know, they come in and they show you how to do stuff and they show you, you know, when you're messing up and sometimes they'll even do it for you, which is really great. You don't realize until you get home a month later that you're actually paying for all of that help. Uh, but that seems so wonderful and the nurses are so great and the doctors, it's just a great experience. So when it came time for us to leave with Jackson, our first child, it was kind of like, do we have to go? Can we stay a little bit longer? Do you have any vacancies tomorrow night? Because it just felt very nerve wracking to actually go home. But now this is our third one and I'm 10 years older. You know, that little dad bed that they have is not quite as comfortable and I can't fall asleep on it like I once did. And, uh, and so within 24 hours of Willow being born, we were like, we want to check out early. Like, is there an early checkout? Do we get a discount if we get out of here early? Of course, they don't let you do that. But by the time the 48 hours was, was approaching, we were ready to get home. So 4 o'clock in the morning, the, the morning that we're going to check out, the nurse comes in and says, uh, Willa's um, jaundice levels are a, a little too high, and the doctor has prescribed her to sit under the magic lights uh, for the next eight hours, and then we'll check her again at the eight hours. And if it's good, you'll be able to go home. But if it's not, you'll have to spend another night here. It's four o'clock in the morning. A lot of factors going on in my brain, but I shot up out of my dad bed, and the nurse is the one telling us this. And I'm like, hold on. This is kid number three. We don't need as much help anymore. Our other kids had jaundice too, not like this, but, but similar, and they're fine. I mean, I think that they're fine. I'm not sure. I haven't compared them to other kids in a while. They're doing fine. We know what we're doing. It's not a big deal. You said that our levels weren't even that high. So I don't understand why we're going to have to spend another eight hours here. And we can't hold her because she's going to be under the lights. She was just born. That's our favorite part. 
And, uh, and my mouth is just moving, moving, moving. And the whole time the nurse is smiling at me at four in the morning. Inside, what she's thinking is, hold on, mister, let me get this straight. I went to school to be a, a paid uh, medical professional. I went to a lot of school. I've been doing this job for a, a, a long time. But hold on, everybody, at four in the morning. The pastor is in the room today. Let's hear what he has to say about modern medicine. Oh, the pastor wants to go home. Where'd you learn that? You learned that in your religious books? You didn't learn that in a medical book. I learned in the medical book when the doctor says, sit under the lights because the levels are too high. That's a good idea. But oh, no, the pastor wants to go home. He's ready. He's lazy. He didn't want to sleep on that little couch for one more night. What does he have to say? But she's just smiling the whole time. And she leaves. Amanda turns to me and she goes, you don't usually speak to people like that which is really kind wife speak for, you're kind of a jerk. (laughs) And I was like, well, so what? (laughs) I'm going to go back to sleep. (laughs) So they bring in all the equipment, and they wrap her in this blue glowing blanket, and they set her under these blue incubators to try to bake that high level out of her couple of hours into that, the pediatrician comes in, who is the reason that we are not holding our sweet little baby girl, the baby of our old age, and and we're having to spend another night, and I'm not even going to, because I love Willa, I'm not even going to think about what this extra eight hours is going to cost me on the back end. I'm going to do a little research when this pediatrician comes in. I'm going to look up WebMD and I'm going to see <laughs> about how to fast forward this process. And she comes in, could not have been nicer. Clear from moment one that she was way smarter than me and WebMD. <laughs> and in a very gentle way, she starts uh, explaining why she did this. She said, I know that's probably frustrating. She said, and I know that her levels were not that high, but I'm just trying to give you a few extra hours here in the hospital instead of you going home and then having to come back and check in. If we can get it now, it's better. Then she starts telling us about all the bad things that could happen to our baby girl if we don't do this treatment. And by the time she left, I'm like, well, you know, that's that's probably a pretty good idea. Because Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 is true. A patient person gains understanding, but a quick-tempered person looks like a fool. In the eyes of that nurse, I looked like an idiot. A fool who, who was more concerned about his own convenience and tired of being in the hospital than the health of this little child. Looked like, like I wasn't very smart. Because that's what anger does. That's what outbursts of anger do. In any form, whether it's passive aggressive or just aggressive, in any form, outbursts of anger do not make you look good. It doesn't look good on you. You are not at your best when you are at your angriest. And that's why outbursts of anger are the fruit of an uncontrolled spirit. The second thing, I'd love for you to see outbursts of anger hinder God's purpose in our lives. Verse 20. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
Listen to what anger does accomplish, though, from the Scripture. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up conflict. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33. For the churning of milk produces butter, and twisting the nose draws blood, and stirring up anger produces Strife. See, your anger is accomplishing something, but it is accomplishing something probably in someone else's life. You may look at your life and go, you know, I have outbursts of anger. I get frustrated. I explode. But, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not really hurting me. It's probably true. It's not hurting you, but it is accomplishing something in someone else's life. The strife is being built up in that relationship, in that home, inside that marriage. You ever seen this chain reaction inside your home? Dad gets angry and yells. Mom gets angry that dad got angry. And mom, in her anger, yells at a kid. The kid gets angry because mom got angry, because dad got angry. The angry kid goes upstairs, gets angry at the other kid, and yells at the other kid. You just got this chain reaction of anger. You know why? Because anger produces strife. Anger stirs up conflict. It is accomplishing something. It is bearing fruit in your life and it's not good fruit, but it doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. So men, some of us want to be men of God today. You can't be a man of God and a man of anger at the same time. One is going to win out over the other. Man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And you might be tempted, just like me today, to go, well, I can't help it. It's just who I am. My dad was angry. My mom was angry. My dad yelled at us, and I turned out great. My mom was a yeller. My grandpa was. It's just who we are in our family. You know, that may be true. But the very fact that our anger prevents us from seeing God's purpose done, from accomplishing God's righteousness, should bother us. We should want God's righteousness to be fulfilled. And that's why he, he, he says, therefore, in verse 21, therefore, because God's righteousness matters, therefore, because your anger is preventing God's righteousness and God's purpose from coming to pass, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess. See, that word all has been really giving me problems this week because James is connecting the dots for us. He's connecting the dots between our outbursts of anger and the moral filth and evil excess in our lives. He's connecting the dots. He's the one saying they're related. That if you are an angry person, if you are an explosive person, if you rage, if you have moments where you explode like a volcano, that is connected to the fuel of that is moral filth and evil excess. And the word all has really been giving me trouble. It says, get rid of all moral filth. Because Christians usually are just satisfied with doing less. We drink, but we drink less than other people. We gossip, but we gossip less than other people. We slander, but we slander less. We cheat, but we cheat less. We swear, but we swear less 
than the other people we work with. That's what we're good at. We're good at doing less. But here, we're confronted not with the word less, not less moral filth, but all moral filth. Now, I like less a lot better because it leaves some gray area for me. It leaves some wiggle room for me. It leaves some opportunity for me to decide, how filthy is this? Is this like super filthy or is this just a little bit filthy? But then the word all comes and confronts me and it's like, no, there's no decision to be made here. There's no, should I or should I not? What do you think? Is it okay? It's all moral filth. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Do you want to stop being an angry person? Do you want to stop going off on your kids? Do you want your wife to stop describing you in her mind as an angry man? All moral filth. And then it says evil excess. Now it's not saying that evil is okay in moderation. I don't know if you saw this report this week. The World Health Organization uh, did a big study and they put out uh, the report earlier in the week that said that processed meat, specifically bacon, is bad for us. Now, I want to say, like, how many millions of dollars did you spend to tell me that bacon is bad for me? It tastes delicious. Therefore, it is bad for me. That's the only thing that you need to know. Did this lunch taste good? Yeah, you probably need to go and exercise because that was not good for you. You know, you have a carrot, a carrot is fine. Like nobody's craving carrots this morning because they're good for you. Doesn't taste good. So they did this big report. Say essentially, if you eat bacon, that's fine, but your life is going to end a lot shorter than it would normally, which again, duh. And I'm fine with. But the bacon lovers united. I don't know if you saw this. Like, they united. I don't know where they have their annual meetings, but they came together and they mounted their own campaign. So much so that the World Health Organization released another statement at the end of this last week that said, bacon is fine to eat in moderation. Processed meat, red meat, go for it. Just don't eat bacon for every meal. That's all that we were trying to tell you. Get off our case, bacon lovers. That's what the World Health Organization did. And essentially what they said is bacon is fine in moderation. And it's true. A lot of things in our life, fine and good in moderation. Evil is not one of those. Evil is not fine in moderation. It's not okay this time because you won't do it next time. The truth is, is that you will do it next time. It's not okay this time because you didn't do it last time. Evil is not okay in moderation. So what is evil excess talking about? It's talking again about our uncontrolled spirit. It's about an attitude that says, I'm going to get for myself whatever I can get for myself whenever I want to give it to myself. That is excess and that is evil. And if you have that kind of spirit, you're going to have uncontrolled and unrestrained anger coming out of you consistently. And the last thing I want you to write down and remember when you leave today, anger purified by the gospel is righteous anger. Anger that's purified by the gospel is righteous anger. So James uses that phrase, slow to anger, he was not the first one. It wasn't original. 
to James. In fact, it may sound familiar to you because it was one of the anthems of God's own people, Israel. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Moses has been up on top of the mountain with God, Mount Sinai, to get the commandments of God, which I know sounds like a terrible thing, but it was really just an amazing gift of grace that God would say to a certain people, I love you and I want to be with you. I don't want to just be up in heaven. I want to be here and I want you to be able to look at my tent, my tabernacle. You can see my very presence, but I'm holy and you're not. So we're going to need some ground rules. We're going to need some laws. We're going to need some commandments so that this relationship will work. Moses is on top of the mountain getting those. As I said earlier, he comes down, they're worshiping a golden calf. Moses breaks the commandments, the tablets of stone. He breaks them right there. So He has to go back up on the mountain. God gives him those laws again. And in the midst of that second chance, this is what the scripture says. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there. And the Lord proclaimed his name. Isn't it funny to think that God has a name? The Lord proclaimed his name. So he comes down in a visible presence. And the first thing that he says is his own name, Yahweh. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh is compassionate and is a gracious God, slow to anger and rich in love and truth. And from that moment on, those phrases became an anthem for the people of God. You see it over and over again in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Israel had gotten themselves in a mess and God is weighing his options and Moses chimes up with the anthem, but God, you are slow to anger and you are rich in faithful love, forgiving wrongdoing and rebellion. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 17. Again, Israel had found themselves enslaved and exiled at the hands of a foreign government. They're able to return back to Jerusalem. When they get there, they go, what did we do? do that got us sent off into exile we forgot God we worshiped everybody else but God and so they found their word they found their scripture can you imagine the scripture being lost to an entire generation of God's own people they find it they dust it off literally they dust it off and for an entire day they just read the word of God to one another and in the midst of that corporate repentance out came the anthem again But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in faithful love. We see it over and over again in the Psalms. We see it in the prophets. And here's what we learn about God's anger is God's anger is always wrapped in his grace. Always wrapped in grace, slow to anger, rich in faithful love. And that's what verse 21 says has at its heartbeat humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you what's that implanted word we saw it last week by his own choice verse 18 he gave us new birth by the message of truth that's the implanted word the gospel of grace that you and I we've been loved by God but we loved ourselves and we did what we wanted to do and that sin separated us from God but God still loved us and he had grace on us. And so just instead of treating us according to his anger, he treated us according to his grace and he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who never lived with an uncontrolled spirit, who never let his mouth run and never let his anger run over inappropriately. 
and they killed him. But on the death, he took all of that shame and all of that sin that we carried on our shoulders. Three days later, he was raised from the dead and we can be saved by the message of truth, the implanted word. If you've come to the moment in your life where you have seen the gospel of grace in the face of Jesus Christ and you say, I need that and I want that, then that word got planted in you. And you're like, well, what's that have to do with my anger? Because that implanted word blooms where anger once ruled. So you're not just going to get rid of your anger. You're not just going to go home today and be like, I need to stop getting angry. You can't just go into the parking lot and go, hey, kids, just want you to know, I'm sorry. I'm never going to do that again. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be replaced by something. Where anger has been under the surface, peace has to take over. And it's that implanted word that blooms where anger once lived. And that's how we know when our anger is righteous. Can you hold the gospel of grace in one hand and anger in that same hand? Because if you can, then it's a good anger. There are things in this world that should make you angry. When you watch the news and you see that Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people are losing their lives as they're fleeing dictatorships, crossing the ocean, and they and their children are drowning to death because they're trying to get out from underneath oppressive regimes in Africa. You should look at that, and you shouldn't just be click, next channel. That should make you angry. When you look at our system of how we take care of children here in the United States of America and even in Harris County and Houston, Texas, and you see all these cracks and all these loopholes, you should see that, and that should make you angry. When you see people being taken advantage of, when you see people being ruled over and run over, it should make you angry. When you see children being hurt should make you angry. There are things that should make you angry. The way that you know that that is a good anger is can I be angry and let the gospel fully bloom in my life? This moment of frustration that I'm having, can it stand underneath the heat of the good news of Jesus Christ? But the reality is, is most of us have very little righteous anger and way too much inappropriate anger. And it will not accomplish God's righteousness. So again, the answer today, this very practical word from the book of James is not go home and promise you'll never get angry again because most of us will get angry before the day's out. Some of you are going to go home and get you some nice lunch. It's going to fill up your belly and all that well-being is going to wash over you. And you're going to go home and this rainy, cloudy afternoon. You're going to lay down in your bed. You're going to lay down on the couch. You're going to get just into just about that good nap time. About 15 minutes in, you're just really starting to enjoy it. And you're going to have this little face right next to you. <laughs> breathing it's 
lunch breath. eight no you can't play my phone go get a job get your own phone so to say that we're never going to get angry again is ridiculous but our prayer is where my outbursts of anger have been inappropriate Jesus could your gospel could your good news it's hard to be angry when you getting good news could your good news come and purify it transform it into peace some of you men are good husbands but you're angry husbands just angry you don't know why you're like that it's probably your great grandfather's fault he did something but you're just angry and you need a miracle Ladies, some of you are angry. You're angry because of your situation. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a working mom. It's hard to have somebody looking to you all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never get a day off. That's hard. We're always going to have a reason to get angry. But let's let that anger be purified by the good news of Jesus Christ, by the gospel of grace. So I want to finish today by praying for all of us. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you're like me today, and there have been plenty of moments that you pray to God, we're not videotaped. There have been plenty of moments, even in this last week, that you would be horrified to have to replay and to watch. Then I'm going to pray this prayer, and if, if I'm saying anything that you want to say to God, then you just let your soul your mind. Amen. God, I want my anger transformed into something better. Something useful. Something holy. Forgive me of an uncontrolled spirit, which has led to an uncontrolled mouth and uncontrolled anger. I humbly receive the implanted word and I ask that by it you would save me from my anger. Give me the discernment and strength to turn away from the things that fuel my quick temper. Moral filth and evil excess. I ask this by faith in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask this for the glory of God.